So she rows her little rowboat home and no motor on that boat. No motor. And then <laughs> she gets off the dock and there's like a couch on the lawn. <laughs> Look, she has inside furniture outside. We don't ask questions. Oh, Dawson, look, there's your mom. Back to you, Bob. Accept your perfect life, Dawson. It's reality. Cleanup continues to... 982. Back to you, Bob. Hello, and welcome to Back to You, Bob, a Dawson's Creek podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Christina. I'm Micah. And we're doing the damn thing. This is our first episode. It's so exciting. Cheers to that. I'm so excited. And if you want to hear a bit more about our podcast, how we got our name, where we got our music, you can tune into episode 100, which is up right now, and it'll kind of talk you through the structure of the podcast and what we're going to be doing here, because right now we're just going to drink and talk with you guys. And Yeah, so we kick off every episode with a segment that we call Dawson's Drink, and that is where we make and drink a cocktail that is somehow related to the episode that we just watched. And this week, it's a drink called the Mrs. Robinson which is very apropos and very fitting to the pilot episode. But we'll get more into that later. Yeah, it's a gin-based drink with grapefruit juice, Prosecco. It has like a million things in it. You can find the recipe on our Instagram. We'll put it in the show notes. Or if you're a more visual learner like me, check out The Drunk Baker, the dot drunk baker on Instagram and TikTok. He's a really great account for drink recipes, baking recipes, and he is collaborating with us on this episode. So he'll show you exactly how to make the drink, which I I find super helpful. Yeah, definitely check him out. He's really funny. He's really blowing up, actually. Like his yeah. last few videos have gone really viral. So check him out or just make your favorite drink. If this does not sound like your drink, just drink along with us. It's very good. I am not a grapefruit person or a gin person. And this is very drinkable. <laughs> I actually I'm... hate everything in this drink, but... <laughs> It's, but it works. it's great. I'm actually not a big gin person, but this actually is delicious. Yeah. Okay, so before we get into it, I think it's important to kind of go back, back to the beginning, as Hilary Duff would say. <laughs> so one of the reasons we really wanted to do this podcast now is because Dawson's Creek debuted 25 years ago. So to Crazy. quote Sophia Petrello, picture it, 1998, right? To give you some context, I am now almost 40, which is blow my brains out. But when Dawson's Creek debuted, I was a freshman in high school. And the show debuted on January 20th. So the next morning, to give you some context into what was going on in the world at that time. On January 21st, that was the first day that the name Monica Lewinsky was ever uttered and kind of came into the zeitgeist in the news. And there was this mounting case against Bill Clinton. And some of the other headlines in the paper that morning, they all included things that we're kind of dealing with still today. Abortion clinic protests, bombings, shootings, debates on affirmative action. So really, uh, not much has changed. <laughs> The biggest movie of that month, of course, was Titanic, which also just had its 25-year re-release. I just saw it yesterday in the theater. Cried, as usual. Um, and the biggest hits of that week were Savage Garden, Truly Madly Deeply, How Do I Live by Leanne Rimes, Together Again by Janet Jackson, and Chambawamba's Tup Thumping, which is actually in this pilot. Yeah, we'll talk about it later, but the music of that year really 
the second that I hear it, it like puts me back. It's really crazy. I was in seventh grade, which was for me personally, and I think a lot of people, a very interesting and miserable time. (laughs) Middle school, God bless. But yeah, it's crazy. And shout out Titanic, peak Leo. You guys, it's still so good. You jump, I jump. Just love it. Why did you do that, Rose? (laughs) I think of that every time. Oh my God, you're so stupid, Rose. Oh my God. So for me, like, this show hit at the perfect time. It was the era where my friends and I would literally call each other on the phone for the entire hour that our favorite shows were on and we wouldn't talk during the show and we would talk during the commercials. I remember watching other WB shows and seeing this promo for the first time and it was like, Dawson on his little boat and it hit every emotion. It's a visceral feeling in my body when I see and hear this promo. We talked about this and you had a more vivid memory of the promo than I had. So I watched it back and it totally all came back. It was like, I want to say they started airing like the fall of 97, definitely like Mm -hmm. December. Yeah, it was like this January a show will come that will change the face of like teenage Everything. television. Um, we could probably play the promo or cl- or snippets of the promo. There comes a time in all of our lives. Uh, Dawson. Uh, you're, you're Dawson. Dawson. Yeah, I know. Um, we met before. Wow. You, you look different. Puberty. Hi, I'm Joey. I live down the creek and we've never met. When it's the end of something simple. Are you and Dawson a <laughs> thing? No, we're just friends. And the beginning... Oh, my God. ...of everything else. Do you think I could help you locate a video? Where would I find The Graduate? The WB Television Network presents a landmark drama introducing four new stars, a series destined to be one of the most talked-about television events of the new year. Listen your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy life. Dawson's Creek, coming Tuesdays this January to the WB. But it was it was like a two, two and a half minute commercial, which is wild. Yeah. And the other thing that I found super interesting that I didn't know is they, WB, very smartly aired the first episode after the second episode of a two-part Buffy event. So they aired the first episode of the Buffy event one night, and then the very next night aired the second episode of the two-part event, and then Dawson's was immediately following. And that second episode of the two-part Buffy event was the highest rated episode of Buffy ever. So their lead-in was incredible. That's wild. So also every week we'll be recapping episodes in a very bare bones way to kind of jog the memory for those people who have seen it and for anyone who hasn't seen the show and have zero intention of watching it. And they're just our very good friends who are listening to this. We want you to kind of have everything you need to know. So this episode, the pilot, starts out like every other episode of season one. They're in Dawson's room and he and Joey are watching a movie, E.T. So Dawson and Joey are in a weird place in their relationship. She doesn't want to sleep over anymore. And even though they've been doing it since they were kids, she just feels like times are changing, emerging hormones Now, Dawson's very adamant that, you know, they're better than that. They transcend that. They're going to be fine. They'll survive puberty, being best friends like they've always been. And he eventually gets her to agree with him and sleep over. And you kind of have this lingering shot on Joey where she's not so sure. And later we meet Pacey, who's played by Joshua Jackson. Now, Joey and Pacey are both Dawson's best friends. 
but neither can stand the other. Pacey is a funny, goofy, silly, kind of a mess up, but he's a really good guy. And at this point, we see that Joey is kind of a realist, kind of a pessimist. You know, it's a thin line. And Dawson is kind of like our idealistic, very, you know, doe-eyed, just wants to see the good in the world kind of protagonist. And then comes Jen, who's played by Michelle Williams. She moves in next door to Dawson. And she's come from New York City to Cape Side, Massachusetts to live with her grandmother, who lives next door to Dawson, because her grandfather just suffered an aorta collapse, which is very graphic and specific. So her arrival sends Dawson kind of spiraling. It's He just becomes obsessed with her. He thinks like, this is his leading lady that's finally come into his life. So they all end up going to the movies together, which is kind of a ruse for Dawson to finally ask Jen out on a date. And Joey kind of sabotages it. She's just throwing digs out to Dawson and Jen and just kind of causing chaos. So Joey and Dawson get into this huge fight at the movies. And afterwards at his house, he does kind of confess finally that things are different, like she said in the cold open. And he thought she looked really pretty tonight. And she admits that she didn't want him and Jen to be on a date. And he kind of reels it in and says, you know, what are we doing? We don't have to do this. We really can transcend this. And she says, well, if you are honest about that, and if you really think we can transcend this, she says, how many times a day do you masturbate then? Tell me if you can tell me that, then you can tell me anything and you'll prove that nothing's changed. And he can't. So she leaves in tears and she's in her little rowboat on the river, (laughs) rowing back (laughs) to her house down the creek. And he screams out the window that he does it every morning during Katie Couric. And she is laughing through her tears at this point. And she's so relieved that Dawson's kind of given her the evidence that she needs to think that their friendship is going to survive all of this. And Dawson pokes his head back in and her smile quickly turns to a frown when she sees that Dawson's mom is kissing another man, which is not Dawson's dad. It's her co-anchor, Bob, which is a big hint that things are not going to be as easy as Dawson thinks that they are. So while all this is going on, you know, Pacey and Dawson work at a video store. And one day in walks this older woman who is kind of flirting with Pacey and asking him about all of these movies where an older woman seduces a younger man, like The Graduate, etc. And obviously Pacey's a 15-year-old boy, so he has an instant attraction to her. And it turns out that this is his new English teacher, Miss Jacobs. And so she plays cat and mouse with him a little bit, and he ends up confronting her the night of the movies when they're out on the pier and they share a kiss, which was very shocking and very scandalous, especially for 1998, but really anytime. But for 1998, it was very (laughs) controversial, which is kind of what everyone was talking about in the wake of the pilot. So (laughs) let's talk about writer and director of this episode. Yeah, writer, director, shout out. This week, I'll start with the director, Steve Miner. He has directed so many episodes of television, it's wild. Most notably, he directed four episodes of this season of Dawson's Creek. So he's kind of the guiding voice in setting up the series. He also directed a Felicity, a Smallville. He had his hand kind of in the WB pot at the time. He directed nine episodes of The Wonder Years, which is a personal favorite of mine. But the thing that I found super interesting in digging into his credits is he directed... Friday the 13th part two and Friday the 13th part three. So that's kind of hand in hand with Kevin Williamson's background as like Mm -hmm. a horror writer. And I wonder if that's kind of what put Steve Miner on Kevin Williamson's radar that he kind of had this horror and wholesome TV background. 
Yeah. And then obviously this episode was written by the one and only Kevin Williamson who created the series. But I wanted to to give the writer credit second this episode because we have so much to say about him. We stan. He is amazing. We love him. We love. We'll, we'll, we'll talk all season and all series about why we love him. He pre-Dawson's Creek had come off of writing. He had written a script called Killing Mrs. Tingle, which was eventually released as Teaching Mrs. Tingle. He had written the script for Scream, which is one of the best horror movies of all time, in my opinion, at the very least, our generation. Absolutely. But yeah. Definitely. I mean, a a huge inspiration for me, obviously, this show was. And just uh, every show he's done since, his films... I mean, like just really have played a pivotal role, I think, in both of our, you know, something we talked about in episode 100 a lot is this show played a pivotal role in us choosing our careers. And even this weekend, I just watched his his new film out on Peacock called uh, Sick. And it was incredible. It was so good. It was a three day weekend. This weekend, I watched four movies. Sick was by far the best. Just so good. It was very Scream vibes. And it's funny because there's there's a lot of stories about like how did Dawson's Creek come about? There's a lot of different versions of it. So I've sifted through them all. But I think the one that I've heard the most from his lips, which was like in podcasts, interviews and things, was he had written this script, Scream, which he based on like a 60 minutes or a dateline or 2020, something like that, of this campus killer. It kind of got read, a huge hit, moved into production like super fast, fast tracked. And then before Scream had been released, they had asked him to develop a TV series and he was kind of blindsided in the meeting. He didn't know he was pitching a show or he didn't really have a show. So he could, they kind of said like, come back tomorrow, pitch us a show. And he was like, yeah, I have a show. I have, oh yeah, totally. Like uh, the perfect thing. And then he just kind of pitched his life, which was like, he's Dawson. I think Joey's based on his childhood best friend named Fanny. He literally just pitched his life on the Creek and they were like, great, let's do it. I love it. A lot of people are baffled by that, how Scream and Dawson's Creek come from the same mind. But yeah, I had just read. So it was Paul Stupin who called him in, who read the Scream script, was super interested. Paul was at TriStar at the time. And he was like, I mean, Micah knows when you write a script that gets attention, all of a sudden everybody's calling you and they want the next thing, right? They want to hop on the bandwagon of the next big writer. I know because it's happened to other people. That happened to me. (laughs) I love it. Great. Well, when it happens to Micah, the podcast will be over because he'll be way too busy. Oh God, no. I always make time for back to you, Bob. Back to you, Bob. So Paul calls Kevin and asks, and like Micah said, he wrote this script that was kind of Like in my mind, in watching the show, I kind of always assumed that Dawson was him, which it is. It is based on his life in a small town and his his uh, relationship with his friend. But in his words, each of the main four characters kind of had a little piece of him. And then they originally were pitching to Fox because Fox had 90210 and it kind of had these teen dramas and they thought that that was going to be the place that it would fit best. And Fox mm-hmm. is like, we don't know where you fit in, right? Like, it's like a little bit wholesome. It's a little bit, they just didn't pick it up. So there was a quote in an article I was reading that said, he got a dog, named him Dawson, and thought that that was the end of everything. He was like, well, that was nice. I wrote a script. It got some attention. And now I have this dog and that will be the end of it. And then WB, which had started in 1995, was kind of start. They started with a lot of sitcoms, and then all of a sudden they were doing this, these family dramas with like Seventh Heaven and Buffy and mm-hmm. 
that's when TriStar was like, we have a place. The rest is history. It's crazy. Yeah, there's, uh, we want to support other podcasts as much as possible and things like that. So if anyone wants to hear a really good Kevin Williamson interview, there's the Nerdist Writers Panel podcast with mm-hmm. Ben Blacker. They do a uh, they do an episode with Kevin and Julie Pleck, who's also huge now, who I think started as his assistant because they tell stories about how they were mm. writing the Scream 2 script on the fly of like the Dawson's Creek pilot set. Oh and gosh. it's a really it's a really good podcast interview because, of course, Scream is a big hit. And then they were like, we need Scream 2 now. Mm-hmm. It's a really good interview. And I love hearing him speak about that era. He says it's like the craziest time of my life. Like it was just nonstop work but it was like they were living and thriving and and she's huge now she's done like god everything yeah she's amazing and she started out as an assistant which is amazing and that's what's so cool about our industry i think it's every industry in general but like the person that you hire as your pa could be your boss one day yeah so we love kevin i have mutual friends of kevin and no one has a bad word to say we love him he's so talented he helped change our lives and that's like kind of the purpose of the writer director shout out we just kind of want to give people behind the scenes because we are people behind the scenes we want to give them like their proper credit we kind of touched on it in episode 100 but this pilot is so well crafted it's so well thought out Mm -hmm. in an article i was reading in a magazine it said that the opening sequence is a quote-unquote masterclass in setting up stakes and introducing characters. But from the very first minute, it's like we know that we have these two friends who have been friends forever and something is changing and it just sets off the entire tone of the series. Yes. They're on the verge of a new phase that they haven't been in and we're going to follow them on this phase. And it is really kind of brilliant and the more times you watch it I will, i'll still watch it and i'll still notice things and it, it really is very well crafted written structured you don't meet someone until you need to you don't get information until you need it it's just very it is honestly very well written pilot yeah and i know that this is like something very simple to you as a writer who has to think about these things but there's a point in, um, you talked about the masturbation. They can't say masturbation. And I'm assuming as someone who worked on four seasons of a CW show that it's because of the broadcast standards, right? So what Joey actually says to Dawson is, when do you walk your dog? How often? But earlier in the middle of the pilot, Pacey's talking about how much he likes his teacher and he's all horned up. And Dawson says, why don't you go walk your dog? Like they plant that in your head. So you know exactly what walk your dog means. And then it comes back at the end. Like, I don't know. I just think it's really well done without feeling heavy handed. It's really like you don't see people's houses until you kind of have to. You go into Jen's grandmother's house at a certain point in the episode when you need to. You go into Joey's sister's house. Everything is just it's very well plotted. And you just kind of relate to all of it, which is something we've talked about. Dawson even says in the episode, like, when did everything become about sex? What is up with the sex? It's all anybody thinks about anymore. Sex, sex, sex. What is the big deal? The whole episode's about sex, but the only people who are having sex are Dawson's parents. And so it kind of captured an age where, like, that is kind of all you're talking about and thinking about, but no one's doing it. Now there's teenagers having sex in the cold opens of teen shows. I, that wasn't my lifestyle at at that age. But this was a relatable kind of thing where... These people in their 20s and 30s were able to write teenagers so well because everyone was talking about it, thinking about it, of course. 
but no one was doing it. None of these characters are doing it. So it's overtly well, sexual, but not at the same time. Totally. I also read, I was reading an article about how there was so much backlash on this pilot. Like it was all about the sex and it was all about the um, mature language coming from these high schoolers. But one of the defenses was it's not so much, the pilot isn't so much about sex as it is about growing up in a culture that's obsessed with sex. Like nobody's going around having sex. It's just that everybody's talking about it and everybody's thinking Mm -hmm. about it. And I think that that was really true and really relevant to the time that we grew up. It wasn't so much that we were like going around. I wasn't, you know, like it it was just always like front of mind. And there's something about these overly sexual shows are so saturated. It's saturating the market now. Like I I watched a few weeks ago. I know you did too. The Summer I Turned Pretty. Yeah. And it's so chaste. And it's almost like, well, that's how I was as a teen. So like it it gave me Dawson's vibes where they're just relatable teens obsessed with sex and thinking about it, of course, but not. But the big thing is the kiss. Yes. The big thing is the kiss. And yes, yes. So it's really just masterfully done. Totally. So props to Kevin Williamson and Steve Miner for giving us one of the best pilots, I think, of all time. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, this is our guest cast shout out segment, which this since this is the pilot, we wanted to kind of give the cast a shout out. Yeah. So Joshua Jackson is kind of the only known entity of the four, right? Like he had a career, he did the Mighty Ducks movies, he kind of was a known actor. And from what we've read, he was brought in to read for the part of Dawson and ultimately decided was better for Pacey. The rest of them were kind of unknown floating around, which I didn't realize James Vanderbeek was in college in New Jersey at the time that he was cast. Where'd he go? Uh, Drew in Madison, New Jersey. He was from Connecticut and he had kind of been tipping his toe in the pool of possibilities for acting and had done some small spots. And from what I read, it was very shortly before they were going to be starting principal production that they found him and they were like, yes, like that's the guy. He grew up in Connecticut, so he kind of had that small town knowledge and could like encapsulate that feeling. He was obviously in college, so he was a little bit older, but he did say that Dawson was very reminiscent of himself, like very passionate, very naive, very, he related to the character and thought that it was representative of him as a teenager. Katie Holmes, she was previously a model and, and, you know, an actress here and there. She had auditioned for Buffy, for the role of Buffy. So she was on WB's radar. They had thrown her around. It was going to be... Selma Blair. Selma Blair was kind of in the running for the role of Joey and for whatever reason fell out. So they reached out to Katie Holmes to be like, hey, can you audition for this part? And she was in a high school production of a play and she didn't want to leave her team hanging. So she said no. And she said, can I self-tape and send it in? So her mom read Dawson. She sent in a tape and they were immediately like, get her here as soon as you can, which I think is so cute and like really. I remember that story. It's so cute. It's so cute. And where did they, what about Michelle Williams? Where did they get Michelle Williams from? So she was also another one that was kind of like, they were all circling acting, but they weren't like, no one had really found their way quite yet. And the thing that I found interesting about Michelle is that she, at 15, emancipated herself from her parents. 
So a lot like Drew Barrymore and like other folks, like she just really wanted to go all in on acting. And so she emancipated herself from her parents so that she could live alone and kind of pursue this dream, wow. which circles, that. right, which circles back to Jen. She yeah. kind of yeah, had that growing up early, like on her own mentality. They all kind of fit a little bit into the bubble of each of the characters. And it's just <laughs> awesome. I mean, the, Such the a good four cast. of them. Yeah. The main four are amazing and gail and mitch like mary margaret humes and john wesley ship they're amazing Love. john wesley ship like super famous before dawson's creek people know him mm-hmm. the flash and thanks to that instagram account dawson's creek restored i believe mm, they have the original yes. unaired pilot which i'd never seen until i started doing research for this podcast original mitch somebody else crazy crazy thank god for john wesley ship thank you you're doing the Lord's work for stepping into the role of Mitch. He is the dad that everybody I loved. They're Mitch and Gail. I mean, Mitch and Gail. Um, Nina Rapita plays Joey's sister, Bessie. I mean, it's just everyone is amazing. For this first episode on Guest Cast Shout Out, there are guest casts, but we wanted to give the main cast kind of their... Yeah, it's the same yeah. as our Guest Cast Shout Out, like... This series launched so many careers, and that's the reason that we want to do this segment. And these four, I mean, three of the four were kind of pulled from obscurity a bit and yeah. turned into overnight sensations, and rightfully so. Totally. So that, for episode one, that's kind of our guest cast shout out. Music moment. Yes. Music moment so of the week. many good ones in this first episode. Well, obviously, theme song. I don't want to wait. Yes. Which we all thought was annoying until <laughs> they took it away. <laughs> and then the world revolted. We were like, this, it was iconic. Where did it go? I don't understand. And like, we love Jan Arden, who I think is the artist yes. who had the replacement theme song. She's had music throughout Dawson's Creek, which will be featured and will be on our playlist. Oh, yeah. We have a playlist on Spotify where we're going to put the Dawson's music back to you, Bob. We love her. She has some of the music across the season. I'm like, oh, yes, that's iconic. But we didn't know how much we loved until it was taken away from us. So obviously, number one on the list, I don't want to wait by Paula Cole. Yeah. For me, the iconic in episode song is I'll Stand By You by The Pretenders. It's the last song of the episode. It's the one where Joey and Dawson are kind of having their exchange about uh, walking the dog. As a post-production person, like, I just notice how well edited it is and how well, like, there's a rise in the emotions and Joey, as you said, is crying and she's on the standing on the dock and Dawson yells out and it's just such, like, the perfect music hit and it's iconic. I mean, the song is amazing, but then with, with the added emotion of that scene, it's just perfect. And then the way that they kind of ring it out over the fact that you're in this, like, heightened state of everything's amazing and Joey's finally gotten the release of Dawson being vulnerable with her. And then she sees Gail and Bob kissing in the car and they they ring it out in a way that, should, oh, it's just so good. It's awesome. So good. My favorite song of the episode is Sophie B. Hawkins. So good. Um, as I Lay Me Down. As I, Yeah. And it's played during a Dawson-Jen scene, which is like, whatever. I'm not super invested in Dawson and Jen at this point. You kind of get a little bit of an insight into like his obsession with Spielberg and the power of that scene is that I have never heard that song 
since 1998 and not thought of Dawson's Creek. Maybe not the totally. exact scene, not the exact moment, but like every time I hear As I Lay Me Down by Sophie B. Hawkins, I think of Dawson's Creek. Yep. And it's the, for me, it's more the visuals than even the contents of the scene. Like it's right. like them the, sitting the on sunset, the dock. The sunset, the dock. Yeah, exactly. Oh yes, yes. Um, it's perfect. So we would be remiss not to mention that the original theme song was supposed to be Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette. And that was the theme song like at upfronts and like all of those screenings. But so interesting. For those who might not remember and for those who did not watch the original you see the original theme song later on in the series. They kind of work it in. When they're looking at home movies, you see the original song and the clips, and it's amazing. That was like a scandalous kind of thing during the run. Yeah, it was like, did you know the original theme song was supposed to be Alanis Morissette? For me, like, I don't know about you, but I feel like it would take on a different vibe in my head. Like, I love Alanis. Like, literally love. Would used to lay on the ground and listen to Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> like, love Alanis. But to me, she has she's a little edgier than Paula Cole. Right. Like it's a little grungier, a little. Well, no one knew Paula Cole, so she had the benefit of a clean slate versus Alanis, who had unfairly been painted by the media as being like promiscuous and. Um, but I see what you're saying that the uh, not so much the song, but Alanis in general kind yeah. of has an edgier association to a show that's more chaste than what it should have been. And then also when we first see Cape Side High, it's oh. top something. Yes, that is the song of this episode that like most viscerally transports me back to that time. Like I feel it in my bones and it it's kind of interspersed through this montage. We touch all of the characters in high school. So it's like a high school vibe in general. But man, the second that it hits because it comes off of a scene of Jen and Graham's talking at the kitchen table, very subdued. And then it kind of smacks mm. in. I get knocked down. I get knocked down. And it's just yeah. like high school. There we are. 1,000, 100, whatever the kids are saying. 100, I'm hip, I'm cool. Dead, um, deceased. <laughs> so those songs will be on our Back to You Bob playlist on Spotify. Which Yeah, we'll link we it in listen. the show notes. Well, we're going to update it as we go. Yeah. Yeah. So next we have a segment which is called Past and Present. It's kind of going to be things that we just see differently now. Like, for instance, watching then, I was very pro-Pacey and Tamara. Now, being on the other side of it, being closer to Tamara's age, you can't help but look at it and go, oh, that's a little icky. Versus <laughs> at the time, there was something aspirational about it. I don't know. When you're in Pacey's age group, you think, oh, what's the big deal? Like, I'm, I'm old enough to know totally. what's right and wrong. And now being on the other illegal end of it, you're like, oh. <laughs> when you're 15, you're like, I am so grown. Like, I get it. I get everything. It's fine. And then you're yeah. 30 something and you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Can you imagine dating a 15 year old? Truly, no. Um, but also, I remember rooting for Pacey and tomorrow, which is the weirdest thing. Yeah. Of all. And it's one of those things where like, it's cringy, it's grooming, it's all of these things that we know now, but it right. was based from what we understand in reading and listening to Kevin Williamson, it was based in truth. So like these things happen. And you said you thought it was based on the um, Mary Kay Letourneau. Yeah. Mary and, Kay Letourneau. Well, the thing that I think Dawson's Creek did well with this whole storyline is that Pacey is the 
aggressor, but not in a bad way. It's, it, he's making it very clear that he's interested in like pursuing her. And also they acknowledge how wrong and immoral and illegal and everything. They, they're not trying to sensationalize anything. They're showing the good and the bad of it. And it was scandalous at the time. And, it, and a lot of people did have issue with it then. And as we've talked about, 1998 news stories and 2023 news stories are not that different. It's abortion. All these things that we struggled with in 1998, we're still kind of struggling with. So the world changed, but it's still the same a lot. And the show was in the trade for being controversial. But the fact that it talked about the good and the bad of the relationship, I think, is why we as that generation bought it. It wasn't overly romantic. It was very clunky. And we'll get into it as the episodes progress. Like it was... One thousand percent. Looking back now in your thirties versus teens, what are your thoughts on the um the Grams Jen situation? Like Jen going to live with Grams won't abide by Grams's rules that Grams wants her to go to church every Sunday and things like that. Do you feel like yeah. oh at fifteen you know, or do you feel like under my roof my rules? My younger self was very team Jen. Grams was this kind of stiff authoritarian figure. And now looking back, I mean, obviously, no spoilers, but we we come to learn that Jen is like coming from a different situation than she first portrays. And for me, if my child was like, hey, I'm having a hard time with my kid, your granddaughter, I need to send her to you. Like Gramps is very reasonable. And she's right. like very religious and kind of throwing that in Jen's face, even though Jen kind of tells her confidently that she is an atheist but i'm i'm kind of team grams on this rewatch mm-hmm. like grams is very reasonable outside of the in this episode she's like say grace dear like trying to force yes. her into her religious ways um yes. but also really just looking out for her you know like she's like in her mind she lives next to this guy dawson who has a girl climbing into his window at night every night and then leaving his window mm-hmm. in the morning Joey, every right. morning so she's just a little that's where i cautious. kind of am teen grams too because if you do let's say you live next door to a 15 year old boy and he's a 15 year old girl coming in and out obviously you're gonna think the worst you're not gonna think oh they're cuddling watching spielberg movies you're gonna think oh um so that's where i'm like yeah i thought grams was pretty awful but now i'm like oh she just cares about these kids Um, and her husband is actively dying one room over like she she does not have an easy life and she has taken jen in and is kind of just trying to make the best life for her yeah one thing that i noticed in this rewatch is jen obviously we come to learn she had some stuff going on in New York, right? But there is a moment in the hallways where she says she wishes she could have a cigarette. And Dawson is like, oh, do you smoke? And she's like, I did. I'm trying to like kick it or whatever, however the interaction goes. Like, I feel like Jen is trying to be honest a little bit with Dawson. Like, she is trying to get a little bit vulnerable. And he kind of yeah. glosses over that. Like, he hears what he, he gives wants him bread to hear. She gives him breadcrumbs. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that the two things that she actively denies in this episode are she says she's a virgin, which we come to learn she is not. Spoiler. And to Nellie, she says she likes to have fun substance free, which we come to learn may not be the case. So I feel like the only two things she's really misrepresenting are the things that she had issues with in the past. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Sex and alcohol and drugs. Yeah. I always knew that she said in the pilot that she wanted to have a cigarette, but like in this rewatch, Dawson kind of just is like, oh, okay. 
like he just glosses over it where I feel like if he were really being true to himself and like he just wants her to be this perfect girl so he just kind of puts that in his pocket he doesn't care about that yeah Where like I feel like normally he would never go can you picture Dawson being like oh look at that girl smoking a cigarette I want to make out with her right well Dawson as a character is very delusional and he painted Jen as this girl next door who's going to come in and be like his paramour love interest kind of thing. And he's not going to see her as anything kind of about this perfect girl next door. She's the girl next door. Put her in her box. He's willing to ignore the red flags because he's delusional. But there are things in later episodes that he can't ignore. And it's like yeah. interesting to me where he draws the line of like, oh, yeah, like smoke. Oh, get just leave leave my mind you know what i mean like yeah he's like oh, okay cool you quit okay great like i don't know he's so uptight about certain things that that just struck me as interesting do we think jen is et oh my gosh do we think jen is the alien who comes in and disrupts elliot slash dawson's life huh oh so the movie that Joey and Dawson are watching the cold open of the pilot is E.T. E.T. These are things that like when you watch it and when you watch it enough, you're like, Jen is the alien who comes into this neighborhood, crash lands into this neighborhood and kind sure. of like, disrupts the world as they know it. Maybe. That's something that came to me. Yeah. Can you tell I've watched it 60 <laughs> times in the last two weeks? But honestly, like nothing is an accident. That movie was chosen right. intentionally. And like, obviously oh, sure. it was chosen for the Spielberg of it all. But there are many, many, many Spielberg films that they could have chosen. Yes. So Dawson is obsessed with Steven Spielberg. And he references this many times about the pilot. He, When he's giving Jen a tour of his room, he has movie posters all over his room that he says are in descending uh, blockbuster order. And I will say, I recently watched The Fablemans. The, the mm. Spielberg movie that's getting like Oscar buzz and it just won a bunch of Golden Globes. And is it's interesting because you see Steven Spielberg making movies as a teenager, just guerrilla style, making movies any way he can in his small town and no one believes in him. And he is giving Dawson vibes. Dawson. So I think, you know, they really did their research Kevin Williams and Stephen Miner, these people who are making Dawson's Creek, they really did get, he is young Spielberg. Like he is to the point where like this also didn't click for me until he's just watched the Fablemans. Like Stephen's mom had an affair. Wild. Which is, I wonder, is that why they made Gil have an affair? I don't know. But there's all of these fun connections 25 years later, even now watching the Fablemans, which is out at this time where like Dawson's is turning 25. It's just such an interesting time. And also- um, isn't Michelle Williams in the Fablements? Yes, which is like a weird <laughs> full circle moment. She plays the mom who has an affair and it's it's just so interesting. So this might be a good segue into Gail, the affair back to Bob. Totally. For me in rewatching, it's like the entire pilot from the moment that we meet Joey and Dawson in the bedroom until the end is about Dawson's kind of naivete. We're just living in Dawson's bubble, right? Like Dawson mm -hmm. has up until this point kind of tried to script his life. He has this vision of what his life will be. He's just delusional a little bit about how much control he has over everything. 
And he mentions in passing to Joey in the middle of the episode that he thinks that his mom is having an affair with her co-anchor because of the way she says her bees. Her bees are very soft when she says, back to you, Bob. And Joey, in that moment, and as you hear in our theme song, says, you're delusional. Accept your perfect life. Like, stop trying to script conflict. You you have a good life. Like, it is what it is. And then when we come to the the final scene where Joey sees Gail and Bob kissing in the car, which is so brazen, and we'll talk about that later, everything comes full circle. Like, Joey has kind of shaken up things in the beginning when she brings up hey we're we're a a boy and a girl and we have hormones and I don't know if we can stay friends and he's like whoa like the way that he acts in that opening scene is like like he had never considered it right yeah well uh, to take my pro Dawson stance as I will in this podcast and you'll take your pro Pacey stance I just feel like he has enough confidence he has enough faith and confidence in their relationship to think where this isn't going to affect us. This, we are better than this. It. Yes. Yeah. Little does he know, you know, the girl's arriving next the next day and she's she's going to prove Joey right. But I think the significance of Back to You, Bob, is that these women in his life aren't as perfect as these Spielberg women are. All it's not a Spielberg. Women. Right. Joey, Jen, and Gail, his mother are have flaws and that's kind of what he's going to learn these women that he has put on a pedestal are not spielberg characters they're not film characters they're real people they're complex they have flaws and so that's why when beth had pitched that title we thought it worked on so many levels because like gail as you'll see as season one unfolds when he learns his mom's infidelity it's like the crux. It's like a metaphor of how these women in his life aren't these perfect yeah, Spielberg they're characters. complex individuals. So that was kind of bringing full circle why we chose that name, which we could talk about freely now. Like we just thought it was just so perfect. And Dawson does suspect early on, like you said, that his mom's having an affair. But it's a throwaway. It's done it's a so throwaway. well. It's I, very I half-hearted. Still... It's just kind of a comment. You're so shocked when... When you see Gail making out with Bob. And part of the reason is because Gail and Mitch are having sex the whole pilot. Yeah. That's something we haven't really touched on. But Dawson and Pacey walk in on Gail and Mitch literally making out. She's on top of him. His shirt's unbuttoned in the living room. Right. They're, they have a very healthy and active sex life. Very. So we will find out why she's cheating at a later date but it is certainly not you know the stereotypical trope of you know she's not satisfied at home she is happy at home and that helped the shock because we were just like wait what and it propels us into the whole first season because now joey has this information about her best friend and the question is do i tell him or do i wait or do i there it's so heavy it's so heavy for her. Yeah. And it wasn't really touched upon in the pilot, but as you move forward, you kind of know that Dawson and Joey kind of had like sibling vibes and and Gail did act as a mother figure for Joey. Um, Joey does not have a mom. Joey's mom died of cancer in the last few years and her father is in jail for marijuana trafficking. So Joey is being raised by her sister, Bessie, and her boyfriend, Bodie, who is black. And they say numerous times... Rams, kids at school. It's a real issue for people that Joey's sister is unmarried and pregnant and has a black boyfriend. Yes. 
that is a point of contention in Cape Side. If you drink every time they say black boyfriend, you would have <laughs> at least, I think, six drinks in the pilot. Yeah. But the also something we also haven't talked about yet is how they do such a brilliant job of just Cape Side is a really small incestuous town where everyone knows everyone's business. And that is also kind of like brilliantly portrayed. Like even when Nellie walks up to Jen the first day of school and she's like, you're Jen, you're from New York. You're the new girl. Everyone knows everyone's mm-hmm. business. And I love that. I love small town shows. I love like eccentric, like seaside worlds. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I don't know what your experience was like per se, but I came from a very small town and people knew everything about everyone and not even everything about everyone, but everything about everyone's parents. Like it is, it is such a tangled web. So 1000% this hit home so much. We didn't talk about Bessie. There's Mm. that moment where she puts the lipstick on Joey and it's very cute because up until then, Joey and Bessie sisters who are on their own now because their dad's in jail their mom died they are fighting but joey's about to head out on the state and bessie knows like joey's headed out with dawson she... throughout the episode joe i think joey has a thing more for dawson than dawson has for her or at least joey sees something that dawson doesn't see yet joey has kind of crossed over that maturity threshold and dawson has not yet yeah because he's maturing slower all of that stuff and then bessie puts lipstick on joey which is what causes Dawson to kind of see her in a new light later mm-hmm. when he's like, yes, I saw you tonight. You looked pretty. And, but he's like that. It just ended there. Like, I don't want you or anything. I just, I think you look pretty. And then she says to him, you know, Jen held your hand and I didn't want to be the one holding your hand, but I didn't want her to hold it. And so it's just interesting, but it's a cute moment when Bessie puts the lipstick on Joey. They don't have a lot of those Super moments. Cute. No. And it's like a, it really endears you off the bat to Bessie because we kind of see her in the following episodes as this cranky pregnant sister and an authority figure to Joey. But this makes you really realize that they have like they have a relationship and they're they are peers. Bessie isn't Joey's mother like they're they have a cute relationship. We referenced it a little bit earlier, but you don't really see into Joey's life until you have to. You know, you only see her in the context of Dawson and then we see a little bit in her life. She rose her poor little rowboat. Like, you know, they drove it home. They wanted us to know that Joey Potter is poor AF. So she rose her little rowboat home and... No motor on that boat. No motor. And then (laughs) she gets off the dock and there's like a couch on the lawn. (laughs) Look, she has inside furniture outside. We don't ask questions. They're like, look, she lives on the wrong side of the creek. She's poor, but she's eclectic, you know? They have spinning metal fixtures in their yard and an out in, inside couch. Oh, Joey's me. Like, Joey was the reason we were there season one. I mean, everyone loved Joey. She was just... Spitfire. Katie Holmes was... Yes. Something of note. So pilots and pilot season are something that happened every year in network television and still do but now that we're in this streaming landscape and this cable landscape a lot of things are picked up straight to series so it's like you shoot episode one and then the entire season together this was a product of that pilot season so this pilot as micah said before was shot well before the series came out and then eventually they shot the rest of the series so they had recast a couple of the characters but Bodie in the pilot 
is different than Bodhi in the series, which is super yeah. interesting. And both are great, but obviously I have, an, I have I have more of an affinity for series Bodhi. Obviously. Yes, absolutely. A, a little fun Easter egg for those of you watching for the first time. Yeah, and like we said, um, the original, the the pilot does have original Bodhi. The second episode has new Bodhi, but the unaired pilot, which had the original Mitch, is on that Instagram account. It's uh, Dawson's Creek Restored, which is a great Instagram account. They have all the best videos. If you want to watch the unaired pilot, it is there. Yeah, they have really um, cool stuff. Yeah. So uh, next up, so we'd love to do like a fan interaction segment where I don't know we read comments. Instagram comments, uh, reviews on like Apple Podcast or anywhere you can leave us a review or if you want to email us, we have an yeah, email. Back to you, Bob, pod at gmail.com. So if you ever <laughs> want to send us reviews, I mean, we'll read negative if, I mean, if they're going to be negative, make them like funny, fun, and we'll read it. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, email us. We're around. You have ideas, I mean, if you have ideas for segments or you hate segment, like whatever, we're open. And super curious if people are actually watching along with us for the first time, what your takeaways are. Like, yeah. I am so curious what it would be like to watch this show for the first time under the lens of 2023. A few friends said they would do it. So I hope. Let's do it. Do. Call yeah. them out by name. Give their addresses. We need to make sure. <laughs> Give their handles. But I will say I love this show and it holds up. And for all the people who say it doesn't hold up, like, I'm sorry, you're just wrong. Yeah, I mean, get real. The fashion changed, but. Just get with it, okay? Real. So, you guys, this was our That's first it. episode. This was the pilot. And I had so much fun. And I watched the pilot 10 million times in preparation <laughs> for this. And I've never felt more alive. I love everything. It's amazing. Uh, this is it's so truly amazing. We have been transformed into 1998, Christina and Micah, and we cannot wait to continue <laughs> this journey. <laughs> we are different people. We are reborn. <laughs> um, so hopefully you had lots of Mrs. Robinsons and yes. uh, follow us, like, share, comment, all of those wonderful things. And if you and... feel like preparing for our next episode, the drink will be a Cape Cotter. The Cape Cotter, for those who don't know, is a vodka cranberry, which I didn't know. Yeah, um, we learned something new. So gather your ingredients and join us for episode 102 next week, Dirty Dancing. Yeah, let's we'll kick see it you off. then. Let's get it popping. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.